Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Brian Buckley, tonight's host for The Sages Among Us, and I'm really excited to welcome my guest to our studio tonight. Don Harris is a distinguished educator and award-winning administrator who has led the Ruth Asawa School of Arts in San Francisco and was tapped by Jerry Brown to lead the Oakland School of Arts when Brown was the mayor of Oakland. As governor, Brown appointed Dawn to the California Arts Council in 2013 and again in 2017. Dawn served as the chair of the council for three consecutive years, 2015, 16, and 17. He also has served on numerous other boards and in various organizations, all related to education and or the arts. Recently retired from the San Francisco Unified School District, where I believe his title was the Director of Creativity, Dawn chose to relocate to Nevada County. With his term on the California Arts Council coming to a close in January 2021, Don continues to advocate for youth and arts, volunteering to help the collaborative arts education efforts of the Nevada County Arts Council and the Nevada County Superintendents of Schools Office. Don earned his bachelor's and master's degree in theater arts from UCLA and earned uh, English literature and special education teaching credentials from San Francisco State. A published author, he plans to continue writing works of panoramic fiction and well-informed essays. Another project in the works for Dawn is developing a creativity index for schools that will sit alongside academic ratings and other dashboard data. Dawn, welcome to the Nevada County and Sages Among Us. Thank you so much, Brian. And um, hearing my name associated with all those great accomplishments and the word sage is very pleasing to me. All right. Well, I think you definitely qualify as a, as a sage, and we're going to pick that uh, sagacious brain of yours. Um, <laughs> so, you know, let's, and let's go back. Let's start at the beginning. You're, you're definitely a high-energy person with a varied and, and diverse background. Where did you grow up, and what stands out to you about your childhood? Yeah, well, thanks for asking. Uh, I grew up in New York. Uh, my dad was a stockbroker. We lived in Queens, and he went into Manhattan every day. And at the age of 15, the stock market kind of exploded a little bit and started opening up West Coast branches. So he and I jumped the gun, and we moved to Santa Monica together in Southern California. My family followed us afterwards. And um, I stayed there until about, I was 20 or so, and then I joined the Air Force. I was kind of an adventurer. And in the Air Force, I actually got very into theater. I had a lot of time on my hands. It was peacetime right after Vietnam. I did a lot of writing, uh, took local theater classes downtown, until they shipped me to Iceland for my last year. And then I was in a play in Iceland, believe it or not. A lieutenant wrote a play, and I performed there. Uh, but came back to the United States in 1980. So it was a kind of an important time. Reagan was just about to get elected. And I always felt like I was on the sort of cusp of history. And in uh, 1980, I went back to Los Angeles at the time and got my started going back to school. Uh, it was a theater major. And eventually drifted my way up to the Bay Area here after a church stint in Asia. I was in Asia for about six months. And I moved to the Bay Area right after the Loma Prieta earthquake. In 1989, so it was just about a month after that, and there I was in San Francisco, and I started teaching. 
you figured things hadn't quite uh, been shaken up enough, so you want to do a little more, I guess. Yeah, I mean, always, you know, I was always on the cusp of um, some kind of exciting or high adrenaline job. So I did air All traffic right. control. Yeah, I did air traffic control, oh. and I also did juvenile hall teaching. My first teaching job was in juvenile hall, so kind of always right. on the cusp of the high adrenaline stuff. Yeah, that definitely sounds like it. So, you know, in your growing up years uh, or early adulthood. Was there anything in particular that contributed to the direction your life has taken since then? You know, any how did how did you end up channeling all that uh, sort of adrenaline adrenaline junkiness in your personality? Right. Well, I very much wanted to be an actor. That was my thing. I would see you know movies and plays and see the kind of passion and the depth and the kind of humanity that was coming out of these fantastic actors, and I thought I could do that. I didn't realize passion wasn't quite enough. You have to have some talent also. So um, <laughs> a little short in the areas like singing and dancing, a lot of the things great actors do, I became a director. So in going to college, it was a passion that I loved without even thinking about a career, or I just went for it. And I went, well, used the GI Bill to go all the way through a master's degree as a, as a director of theatrical plays. And that really hit my personality well. I was using all of myself, my administrative abilities, my creativity, directing actors, some originals, some classics. And um, yeah. that was a really good fit. So there I am at the age of 27, 28 with a master's degree at theater. And my mother saying, okay, what do you do now, boy? And from there, teaching was the next step. Okay. So looking back on your teaching career or your pre-teaching careers, um, was there a watershed event or a, a mentor that really impacted um, the direction your, your life took after that event? Or you know, I really was very lucky yeah, that people did take me under their wing. Uh, an assistant principal, when I was a teacher in, in, for, new to San Francisco, saw something in me that he thought was valuable, and he started giving me leadership opportunities. And um, the watershed event, actually, I tell this story quite a bit. I've written about it as well. It took place at a dance um, one night, very tense and hard dance. A lot of the kids were just kind of crazy dance. And a kid was sneaking into the dance, an adult, actually, probably in his 20s, and he fell through the, the false ceiling. He actually fell on the ground, coming through one of those you know, false ceiling kind of panels. And moaning and writhing on the ground, the cops are there, and his friends are there, and it's really looking like a tense situation. And I turned out I knew him. He, he, he recognized me. I used to tutor his brother in the housing projects. So because of that relationship, I was able to calm the whole thing down and get the guy up on his feet and get him out of there before he got arrested, kind of settle the whole thing. And from there, I actually got promoted within a month to the dean's position. And from there, my career in administrative in administration began. Oh, uh-huh. All right. So yeah, in some ways it's just sort of the ceiling. You know, is my kind of my the, the key to my success in the future. Well, it sounds like so your your you know your first opportunity to move into administration just sort of fell from the sky for you. Oh, fell from the sky. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, clearly your life changed in several major ways when you met Jerry Brown. Tell us about that. Right. So by that point, I'd been the principal of the San Francisco School of the Arts. So to catch us up to that, so I got this job as a dean at Galileo High School. And later on, the School of the Arts position became open. And I really had to beg to let them let me apply for it because I was, they liked where I was. They didn't want to see all the shifting around. But I said, no, this is my dream job. I've got the master's of theater. I've got the administrative credential. You've got to let me try for it. And they did, and I got it. So there I am in San Francisco at a very prestigious and well-known public school. And Jerry Brown pops in one day out of nowhere. And I recognized his voice out of the lobby, and I went out there, and there he was. And he came to my back office, and he had some papers he wanted to show me. He had an open school for the arts that wasn't doing as well financially and, and pieces like that. And he asked me for some advice. 
So we ended up staying together until about 10 o'clock that evening. He and his wife were um, drinking Chardonnay and eating chips in the, in the Chevy's on Van Ness Avenue in San Francisco until about 10 p.m. And at that point, we really just strike a friendship. We did a lot of educational ideas, and I found him very fascinating, obviously. And uh, within a couple of weeks, I was working for him. And that lasted nine years. All right. Well, it actually kind of lasted a little longer than that, didn't it? Uh, well, yeah, nine years into school, and then, of course, beyond, yes. Right, right. So, um, so, so yeah, let's see. Your, 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 your relationship in 2007, we're actually going on 13 years now that I've known him. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, when you first uh, got nominated uh, or appointed by him to the California Arts Council, was that a, a particularly noteworthy conversation? What do you remember about that? Yeah, yeah. So I asked him about it because I'd heard from other people that it was actually a kind of an interesting way you get on the Arts Council. You nominate yourself, and then you start to push your name up the line to the people that might be able to help you. So since I already had it with the governor, I actually put in my self-nomination, and I called him up and said, Jerry, you know, I just wanted to put in my application for the California Arts Council. So in his usual inquiring kind of way, he said, well, why would you want to do that? Give me some reasons. And I started talking about my global perspective and, you know, that all that I knew about the state. I was very well-versed in California. The next thing I know, 36 hours later, the appointment was sealed because I'd already been vetted by him, and I didn't have to go through all the other vetting that I might have had to go through. So I was on there very quickly, and there I was. Is that a record, you know? Is that the fastest appointment ever? It's got to be pretty close because the vetting takes a long time, and I don't know how many people he would already know and have vetted beforehand. So Right, right. Yeah. So you've been passionate about youth and arts, uh, spent a great deal of your your life devoted to both. Tell us about the way you're exercising those passions currently now that you're no longer working for San Francisco Unified or and you're nearing the end of your term on the Arts Council. Right. So um, I'm involved in some things here in Nevada County. I'm you know, somewhat involved, though, not officially because I'm still with the state, but I'm doing some work for the Nevada County Arts Council, uh, the Education Committee, and, you know, kind of putting my, my thoughts into certain places, doing a lot of writing. So I'm on Medium.com. I've got about 70 articles on there, some of which are arts-related, some of which aren't. I just have a lot of interests. And writing is the thing I really want to do now and be influential in that way. So writing and speaking about what I write and the kinds of ideas that I've had. I think I've always been a highly creative administrator. I mean, I joke about being an administrative artist, which is actually not really a joke. Really good administrators are excellent artists, super creative and super spontaneous. And sometimes that's really good. Sometimes, of course, you know this, Brian, it could be, it could be trouble because not everybody can go with the spontaneity. Schools can be very conservative places sometimes. So we, right, yeah, right. Exactly. And, and you feel the need to seize an opportunity, which it tends to be a little ephemeral, doesn't it? Yes. And, you know, I'm also looking for the right way to maybe make a mark. I'm on a couple of boards still back in the Bay Area where the people are trying some very innovative things, you know, buying buildings, combining forces. One of the great interesting things about the arts in the past, let's say, 10 years or so, is the combination of the arts and other factors, other facets of life in, in cities and in, in villages and you know, urban and rural places are all doing it, where the arts are no longer a standalone elite kind of thing, but they're getting their hands dirty. You're working with the fire departments. We're working on uh, fire prevention, for example, with a lot of scientists, and they want the artist's viewpoint. They want the artist's publicity abilities. And so we're finding ourselves mm -hmm. in new and interesting places, and I find that exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're also, you know, talking about things that we, we hear with the Otis School of Business, you know, report on the creative right. economy and uh, really how the arts are pretty integral to the entire economy of California, right? 
Yes, they really are. We're talking about upwards maybe getting close to, you know, 15 to 18% of the jobs have some aspect that we could call creative. And that could be in a, in a regular corporation. You might be the graphic designer or some other kind of creative person. You might be developing financial products. I mean, our conception of creativity has really gone through the roof, and I see it all the time. And people don't even acknowledge it themselves sometimes. Right. You know, it seems like a, a, another thread uh, that has driven you is, is a devotion toward uh, diversity and inclusion in arts and education. Can you tell us a little bit about that, too? Yeah. You know, when I first started teaching, um, I was in South Central L.A., and in a place where the Watts riots were, and, and the environment there for a teacher to go into you know, elementary schools for maybe two weeks at a time was really fascinating. The kids were used to being uh, abandoned, so they didn't expect them to stick around very long, three weeks, or sometimes on like a long-term gig. And they were so much smarter than they'd ever been given credit for. I just right away saw that you know, we were losing the whole the groups of people that were just not engaging for a variety of reasons. One, talk about a watershed moment. I remember one time I had a real surly kid, fourth grader, didn't want to, didn't want to do any work at all. So I gave him a couple of easy problems because I, I thought the page looked too intimidating for him, you know, the, the 10 problem page. He whipped off the two yeah. problems in like a minute and threw them back at me and basically said, hey, I could do this and more. And that I my, opened my eyes because I didn't think he could do anything. So I've always yeah. kept that thought, you know, when I look at a kid is that there's a potential in there that I may not know about, but I've got to find it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. diversity being part of it, you know, working in public schools, um, the mix is fantastic. I never would have had a mix of people that I met and was involved with if I hadn't been in the public schools. Right. You know, speaking about that, that potential, did you see the schools of the arts uh, unlock that potential, you know, more even in terms of academics or in terms of, you know, their entire humanity? Um, or, or, again, you were at schools that were competitive in many ways to, to get into, um, and you were working with some of the 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 best and the brightest did you see um but did you see transformations that were art-based or do you think just the creative environment of the school uh unlocked that that same potential yeah that's that's a great brian that's a great question it might be the most central question you know to ask about art schools what's it doing for the rest of society so i'll give you kind of an example of what happened with me in san francisco so i inherited a very small schools tucked away in the corner of town in the old elementary school it was a high school but it was tucked in elementary school 400 kids, no diversity at all. And you're talking San Francisco now where you'd expect there to be some. So the yeah. new superintendent at the time, um, Arlene Ackerman, she's brilliant, a great mentor to me. She and I brainstormed a way to, to break that logjam, so to speak. She gave me a large campus. She said, go ahead and expand the school. Let's get all these other kids in here. Get find ways to train them beforehand. We had a pre-training program. We did all this creative, innovative stuff. We tripled the minority numbers within about three years. And it was a seven-year gig that was just absolutely wonderful, where when I left the school to go to the open school, I think we had accomplished all of our goals and more. And I did see the thing you're talking about. I saw kids from different backgrounds transforming the creative environment, their own expression, I mean, all the different factors that came together in a world they were happy about. And they felt honored to be there. You know, the place was for them. And they did feel they earned their way in. Maybe they didn't have all the training, fancy training that maybe some of the wealthier kids had, but they knew they had something that, that got them through an audition or they came for training or whatever it was. They knew that they earned it, and that was special. Right. Sounds like a, a really gratifying experience as well. It really was. And I'm not going to say that it's all, it was all rosy. Look, there were tons of problems. You know, every magical right. graffiti artists are everywhere, the art schools. So your bathrooms look like, um, I don't know, some downtown kind of place. So we had those yeah, kind of right. things, too. Ours are very self-um, 
they're still not motivated exactly. They're, they're kind of very strong about who they are, and they have an identity, and they're going to run that identity right by you, you know, for good or bad. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm Brian Buckley, and we're talking tonight with Don Harris, who was appointed by Jerry Brown to the California Arts Council and who recently re- relocated to Nevada County after a long and distinguished career leading such notable educational institutions as the Oakland School of the Arts and the Ruth Asawa School of the Arts in San Francisco. Don, one of the things that the Sages Show is interested in finding out about people who are civically engaged with others is what they get out of it. What do you get out of the work you've done and continue to do personally? Yeah, you know, I'm happy to say that that was kind of um, that was kind of an after effect of everything I did. It's not like I went out there to do good. Um, I found myself in positions where I saw things happening that I could help, and just the connection, you know, helping somebody else sort of helped me too, in some way that I'm sure people understand. So i just the, the human connection is so important to me, and to be able to get it through my ability to help people with something simple like changing their schedule or steering them towards the right school. I mean, the family issues that I, I ran into were, were so critical sometimes, and, and the little bit of authority I had to do something was incredibly gratifying to look at a life five years later and know that I was you know, part of the stepping stones that got them to a place. Right, right. And I imagine you, as, as with anybody who's an educator, you, you, you realize that, that sometimes it wasn't necessarily uh, a great success as a result, but the absence of a great failure. <laughs> Yes, well put, and also the fact you never really know the outcome. I mean, sometimes it's in certain fields, you certainly know, you know, input, output, you know what your outcome's going to be fairly quickly, and you can judge your success or failure. Sometimes we mm-hmm. don't know our output until 10 or 12 years later. And there's so many exactly. other influences involved that we don't even know where the influence that helped. So it's, it's a tricky right. thing, but it was always gratifying. The human connection in and of itself was always gratifying. Right. So... Don, you went to UCLA and worked in the Bay Area. How did you end up in Nevada County? Well, when I was um, when I was in San Francisco, and then I was part of the Arts Council when I was in Oakland, actually. Um, you and Eliza Tudor became sort of friends through my Arts Council connection, and you invited me up here to the Wild and Scenic Film Festival back about five years ago, and that began my love affair. Remember, a wonderful place. Yeah. And, and and it was just that those first visits that uh, piqued your interest, I guess. Yeah, well, I saw something. You know, I saw something that I really wanted in my life very much was was people that were like minded, and yet also mm-hmm. very diverse in the things that they did. And I just felt this is such a settled community. It's such a um, and I say that in the best sense, in that people really seem to have reached who they are, a lot of comfort. People are comfortable with who they are here, and they have a place they can be comfortable with who they are. So it's just a mm-hmm. nice combination of various factors, great weather. Um, I've been greeted, you know, open arms by everybody. And, you know, my first, I just bought this house out here in Willow Valley. And I was born on March 1st. And by March 15th, I was snowed in and the, and the quarantine hit. So I had this wonderful sort of transition from the old life to the new in this magical snow-filled kind of wonderland. Right, right. Well, uh, you're, you're already answering my next question a, a little bit, but uh, maybe you can elaborate. You're... You're observing this community with a fresh set of eyes. What, what are you seeing? Yes. You know, really, a word that's really important to me that I see in abundance here is authenticity. So authenticity is, a, to me, a very deep word. It's like, it's like the truth even multiplied beyond the truth into some kind of new realm of 
things that are right, that fit well together. And I find great authenticity among the people here. People are who they are. And they're, they're good at what they do, and they're good at being themselves, and they're comfortable in their skin, I guess is another phrase, that um, I'm not used mm-hmm. to seeing it in such abundance. And that makes me more comfortable in my skin. I've come to, People see me now from past lives, so to speak, and talk about the calm and the, and the glow about me. I've been hearing that. Interesting. All right. A calm glow in Nevada County. That sounds uh, – yeah, yeah, there ought to be some real estate people that take advantage of that. You know, in fact, it's sort of of, uh, a similar theme. You know, one of the realities, current realities of the COVID world is a huge increase in people working from home and telecommuting. And some folks are predicting that that's leading, and we know that it is to a degree already, leading to a migration away from urban areas and to rural communities uh, such as this one. Uh, You came here pre-COVID, but what advice might you have for somebody new to this community? Yeah, yeah, and I really followed this very well. Is don't bring some of your old beliefs and your old habits from other places where there's more intensity and more competition. Um, leave those at the door. I mean, I was faced with a couple of situations here just in buying property where it looked like there's going to be these big bidding wars. And I said, you know what? That's my old behavior. I don't want to do that. I'm just, I want to come in here and do what this community does and learn that first. And I'm not, okay, if I lose this property five and I'm not getting in with some Bay Area shark who decided to come up here and sell a couple of houses and make some money, I'm, I don't want to do that. So I do think that, you know, listen, learn, um, you know, you, you move to a different place for a reason to, to change and grow, and I think you have to take advantage of that. Right, right. Um, what would you suggest to somebody new to the community um, about how they might get involved? You know, like you're in the process of, of doing now, uh, you, you're jumping in and I think you've got even more ideas and other ways you, you might want to get involved. But, you know, how would you suggest a newcomer go about that? Yeah, I think if you have a certain interest, for example, like I read the paper now, I get the union every day, and I'm really glad I do. And I'm not reading for the sports and all the stuff I used to read papers for, but I'm looking at what's going on locally. I love the police blotter, too. I read that really, really, um, really religiously because it's interesting and the kind of things that people mm-hmm. are into and that happened to them. But um, mm-hmm. in there, I find all sorts of things that make me want to get involved. And I really feel like I could pick up the phone and go, hey, I want to be part of that homeless coalition that's interviewing homeless people at the motel where they're, you know, there's so much going on that's right at your fingertips that, that you can give and also get. So I think to pay mm-hmm. attention to what's going on and find something that interests you and meet people through that, you're doing, doing good deeds. Right. Uh, you know, when you mentioned, I think, uh, reading the union, there, there's even a a whole regular column on volunteer opportunities in there, isn't there? Yes, there is. And I want to mention one other thing about the union, which I really admire as a paper. I have never seen so much space devoted to community op-eds and community you know, opinion pieces. There's got to be six or seven, and on some days, six or seven community pieces are dominating the paper, and they're good. They're intelligent, mm-hmm. they're interesting, and the paper really supports that. So I want to take my hat off to them. I've never seen anything like this. Right. Now, I want to uh, return to uh, that time you spent uh, working for Jerry Brown and uh, working as his appointee to the Arts Council and, and to a degree, your friendship with him. Um, what, what could you say you've learned from Jerry Brown that stayed with you? Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking about that prior to um, us having this conversation. Many things, many things. One of the smartest and most original people I've ever met and totally ethical. Um, I think I learned not to take things at face value. 
he, I would give him something that I wrote and I thought was real polished and was ready to for prime time. He'd go, come on, you got a word processor. Anybody could write this. And he was, he was right. I mean, I was honest enough with myself to say, yeah, this could be a complete sheen and not have any depth to it at all. How does he know? So I made a lot of proposals to him, some of which went places and some of which didn't, because he really he demanded a level of proof, I guess is the word, that was really special and really taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe attributable to that uh, Jesuit background. Who knows? You know, I went to Jesuit High School in New York just before I left, so I, I know that kind of education, and yes, there's a rigor to it that he gives me, me maintained throughout his life. Right, right. You know, I, I think you've, You've been here long enough, Don, to be well qualified to answer this next question that we often ask Sage's guests, um, and that is, if you had a magic wand to wave over this area, how would you use it? What kind of a change would you make? Yeah, so get PG&E out of the picture and stop with all these power outages. Yeah, that was that's one thing. <laughs> um, I mean, I have a generator, but still, the whole thing's all crazy. Um <laughs> and more 24-hour places. So I'm a little bit of a night owl these days, and sometimes I would just like to go out and have a 3 o'clock in the morning meal, and you can't do that here. Right, right. Interesting, interesting. If you used your magic wand to uh, keep the power on, I think you'd uh, quickly be elected as honorary mayor uh, of the yeah, entire I know that would be very important to people. And PG&E was one of the first issues. I moved here on October 15th, so right away we're in fire season, and it was all happening right in front of me the very first month I was here. And, you know, there's an interesting political mix here, too, that I, I don't know what my magic wand would do, but I'm really happy to be in a place with a lot of diverse viewpoints and um, have to really think about what I say because there's going to be people who aren't going to necessarily accept it. And um, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy the, the back and forth and um, the differences. Right. Well, there's not a, a great deal of time left, uh, maybe one or two yeah. questions, Don, but I'd, I'd, I'd like to ask you, uh, you know, a lot of our questions have been, um, sort of backwards-looking. Uh, I'd like to ask you a more forward-looking question. What's what do you envision in your near future? What are some of your projects and plans? What what are you hoping to accomplish over the next years and months? Yeah, let me give you a couple that are um, that are kind of intellectually based. Um, you mentioned earlier, I think in my introduction, that I wanted to develop a creativity index for schools. You know, this has been tried in Massachusetts, in Oklahoma, and in California. In fact, when um, Daryl Steinberg, who I think is still the mayor of Sacramento, um, when he was in the legislature here, he had brought up the idea of a creativity index for schools, a way alongside the academic rating for schools to have some way of rating creativity. So I've been playing with that idea, and I've got a couple of you know, prototypes. I'd like to try them out somewhere because I do think that when we you know, have an academic rating for a school, you can have this 100-point academic rating and zero creativity, but nobody knows that you've got this dry, you know, sort of drill and kill kind of thing going on because the test scores look good. We need to have a mm-hmm. way to balance that. And I believe in high test scores. I always bragged about my school's test scores. But I also did want to see it be dry and rote. And, you know, I've okay. seen places that do that. They get those high test scores, but at a book price. And then, you know, I've got some uh-huh. other ideas about, you know, um, different different ways of, like, People come up with philosophical movements. I wouldn't mind joining with a group of people and coming up with the next wave of the way we think, the way we process, the way we – our meta-level things. You know, what is it that will take us as, as a race, so to speak, or as, as an artist group to the next level? It's some kind right. of thought, some kind of togetherness. I, I don't know what that is yet, but I want to be with the people that are going to make that happen. All right. Well, Don, thank you so much for spending time with us tonight. It's been a fascinating conversation, and look forward to many more. Many more, Brian. Thank you so much for having me.